This is Pat and Rod Save the World. I'm Roderick Makem. I'm Pat Brown. What a fucking week. Yeah. What is going on? Well, um, as you can probably tell, Rod and I have managed to work ourselves into something of a lather <laughs> about the news over the last week. Um, and what we're going to focus on, on this week ending, I don't even know the date, the 13th of December 2014, is the report released on the torture program. Run by the CIA. Run by the CIA, um, which is incredibly depressing. Yeah. Um, and we're just, to, s- just to lighten the mood from that, we'll also be discussing some drone strikes. Yeah, yeah. So this is a very, it's a terrorism-focused podcast um, and the responses to terrorism by the United States in particular. And for any of our American listeners, I know we have a few, we should preface anything we say here um, with the disclaimer that, yes, we're aware that Australia is America's poodle so far as foreign policy is concerned and that we are, foreign policy-wise, Probably following along to the best of our ability, being yep. the um, well, fairly sort of sycophantic uh, partner yeah. that we are. Sycophantic little suck up in foreign policy. <laughs> yeah, um, it doesn't make me feel good um, to the extent that I care about being an Australian. Um, it's it's not that gratifying when we just do as we're told. Um, so. The facts. All right. Um, Let's... Well, I mean, we'll start with something I just read. Um, It was a a timeline of, um, well, uh, a modern timeline of torture in America um, in uh, in an article. And it starts in 1988 with CIA Deputy Director of Operations denouncing torture, stating that physical abuse or other degrading treatment is rejected, not only because it is wrong, but because it has historically proven to be ineffective. We come to this week uh, and the, uh, the, um, the Senate report uh, on f- findings on um, uh, torture program during the war on terror, uh, which ended up concluding that, uh, hey, what do you know, torture is pretty fucking ineffective. Um, so in between that time, uh, what happened? How did they, how did they get to it? I mean, obviously it's... Uh, it's the war on terror, but uh, tell us who the major players are, Pat. Um, by major players, you're talking about the CIA? Or... Yeah. Okay, so the facts are still <coughs> coming out, um, but essentially the CIA was caught off guard after the, the attacks of September 11 um, without a great deal of interrogation expertise or the ability to hold prisoners to interrogate them outside of the judicial system. Now, many people would say, that's great. It's not such a fantastic idea to turn your intelligence agency into a jailer of foreigners. Mm -hmm. Sort of sounds a bit unaccountable. But this was deemed necessary at the time. They were picking up a lot of people in Afghanistan in particular. And a method was required to um, hold on to these people and interrogate them. Um, 
So there are a number of ideas thrown about. People were talking about keeping them on ships in international waters. Um, some people were talking about bringing them back to the United States for them to face trial there. But ultimately, <clears throat> the uh, solution arrived at was both Guantanamo Bay and a series of what became known as black sites, which were prisons that were operated by the CIA throughout a number of countries in the world where they would hold and interrogate key terror suspects um, using all sorts of incredibly harsh methods. Um, we're talking about severe sleep deprivation, one recorded case where a chap was not able to sleep for an entire week. We're talking about waterboarding, yeah. which was considered, by the way, by an observer of the waterboarding to be waterboarding to such an extent that it was actually more like close drownings. And we're also talking about the uh, rectal insertion of uh, uh, feeding mechanisms. There must be some kind of technique to feed someone basically through their ass wall yeah. or their rectal wall. And these were medically unnecessary rectal um, uh, procedures that were performed on the Prisoners. Yeah, I, I, it just when I was uh, when I was reading about the various methods used, I, I couldn't escape the idea that these people just thought of like old school torture techniques, like grabbing someone and shoving their head into a bucket of icy water, or shoving a bloody uh, broomstick up your ass or something, and just thought, oh well, how can we do that in a way that sounds vaguely scientific, um, well, vaguely like there's a reason yeah. to do it, um, and, and then they sort of went from there. Uh, and just quickly, anyone who thinks, oh, sleep deferation, that doesn't sound very good, try not sleeping for a few days. See what it does to you. Yeah, it's um, pretty uncomfortable. And there is, of course, the usual mealy-mouthed denials about whether or not this treatment um, constitutes torture. But I suppose the interesting thing about this report is, regardless of whether or not you think waterboarding is torture, and for the record, I think it is, um, anally assaulting a man during his imprisonment in a windowless prison sounds awfully like torture to me. In fact, I can't think of any serious person that would consider that it isn't. Yeah. So, as Obama said, tortured some folks. Wasn't um, that Hayden? I thought it was Hayden who said no, that. No, that was Obama. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Hayden said something similar in his incredibly folksy way of talking, which belies God, just I how that evil guy. he is. Michael Hayden, like, honestly, if I could just, if there is someone I could punch in the face right now, it'd be Michael Hayden. Really punchable face. And yeah. a bad human being, genuinely bad human being. No question. Um, so... I think you were you made a point just before about the fact that it sounds like what they were doing was reading bad things that happen in other countries and then just yeah. enacting them. Yeah, like just let's find a way to like uh, gussy this up a bit. Yeah. yeah, but the funny thing is, is that actually that might well be the reason for some of the techniques that were used. And the reason well, for that, that, I am not surprised, is that. The CIA was really caught on the hop. They had 
no idea how they were going to run the program of interrogation. Um, and they brought in two contractors who were psychologists whose previous work had turned on teaching operatives how to resist the interrogation and torture techniques if they were captured by a foreign enemy. And it's almost as if their job just flipped from that to actually imposing all the terrible techniques that they were training people to avoid. Yeah. And I, I can't find their names right here. I'd like to just call them out as real douchebags. Um, but what I suppose really irks me is that they're also quite rich douchebags since their company, throughout its employee by the CIA to perpetrate these horrific acts, was paid $81 million. So not only did America do terrible things, they footed the bill to the tune of 80 million bucks yeah. to have um, these warped Mengele-like psychologists create this program to torture people. Yeah. Just uh, on that issue of learning from other bad habits from other countries, it just reminded me of the thing you were talking before about Hayden and, uh, oh, we're not quite so bad as, uh, as other countries. What was the... Uh, oh, was right. It? Yeah, just for a bit of context, like a bit of factual context is... Like, obviously, there are a bunch of people who are involved with this who are now on full offensive to dispute the findings of the report. Yeah. Um, Michael Hayden being one of them. And his justification of this was, well, if everybody in the world treated prisoners the way that we treated prisoners, the standard of the treatment of prisoners in many places would really increase. And if you're stupid, you're probably going to go, oh, that sounds okay. No, no. Like, if, you, if you're if you happy that, um, you know, your country is treating people slightly better than Saddam Hussein treated political dissidents... Well, significantly better. But, like, <laughs> if that's the standard, you're in trouble. You're fucking in trouble. Um, and just uh, just quickly, something I think we probably haven't touched on yet in this uh, discussion, but we're, fairly, we're still fairly uh, early into it. Um, not a lot of sympathy for terrorists here. Yes. Awful human beings, fucking stupid criminals, basically. Yeah, and, um, but here's the kind of the operative point, is that before you get to call a man a terrorist, yeah. you're supposed to prove shit. That's exactly it. Um, <laughs> you don't get to just pick a guy off the street and dub him a terrorist and then justify every horrific thing you do to him thereafter um, on the basis that, well, he's a terrorist. Yeah. And I can't... I've lost count of the number of times where people have said, but they're just a bunch of terrorists in Guantanamo. And it's like, well, but no, dude. Like, there's probably a significant number of those people who are not terrorists. Gul Rahman, for instance. Gul Rahman. Um, could I just... So, to just call these two guys out... Oh, yeah. So, not that any of us is probably ever going to meet these people, but James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen, who had worked in the Air Force's Survival, Evasion, Resistance and Escape Program, which subjected Ameri American military personnel to simulated capture and torture. So, it really is as if these guys just proceeded from a rule book that was based on all the shit you're not supposed to do, and they just decided to implement it. 
Um, they also, they're the guys who wrote the manual for the CIA. Good for them. Um, so, yeah, pretty terrible human beings. And yeah. you've, I suppose it kind of, like if you're attracted to, the, to a job where you teach people you basically subject people to to sort of simulated torture. Yeah, you're like. probably you're probably missing something. Maybe in the there's some problems yeah. there, and probably in future, guys like that are not the people you should have designed the programs around your uh, interrogation of prisoners. So, the other really interesting thing is, I believe that this report has it's reported to two deaths. Yeah. Uh, one of those being uh, Gul, who we uh, yes. mentioned a second ago. Gul Rahman. He had been doused with water and left chained to the concrete floor overnight, naked from the waist down. In a fairly um, cold part of the world. Yep. Um, you he, can probably see where that's going. Yes, it was the salt pit in Afghanistan. That was the name of the black side, by the way. Um, Cheery. It's a funny thing, actually. Names often reflect the colloquial understanding of a thing. Um, and a name like the Salt Pit certainly was not chosen because it was a cheery fucking no. place. Um, Breaking uh, topic entirely for a second, but yeah. it just reminded me of the worst name in Australia. Do you remember driving through Abattoir Swamp? Holy shit, yeah, that sounds grim. Yeah, we, we was on the uh, uh, North Queensland. No, I've, that's fallen out of my head entirely. <laughs> it was uh, late uh, late at night and we were on a big road trip. And we drove uh, we drove through this little, tiny little, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there'd be more than a couple hundred people in the town uh, in, you know, the middle of backwards North Queensland and banjos playing uh, <laughs> Abattoir Swamp. And I just, would, I just remember thinking, don't want to break down an Abattoir Swamp. No, it no. doesn't sound very welcoming. Okay, so a little light-hearted interlude for a moment. Let's get back yeah, to the Let's torture. get back to Ghoul Rahman. Yeah. Now, the really interesting thing I think about this, and I'm yet to confirm this from other news stories, this was quoted in an article um, ironically, in the New York Times, titled CIA First Planned Jails Abiding by US Standards. Um, it's a big call, so considering... Uh... Really, it's, it's like they started out with the best of intentions. Um, now, the death of Ghul Rahman was reported because he happened to die during an inspection by a delegation of um, experts on prisons who were sent to assess the conditions under which the detainees were being held. Um, they happened to be there when he died. Now, something tells me that there's... That's a big coincidence, that an overseer happened to be there when something bad happened. Yeah, you can't help but draw the conclusion that many more people... Uh, just were disappeared. They died and they didn't end up on the record books because um, they didn't happen to have an overseer there taking notes at the fucking day that they died. Yeah. Just another quick little thing on uh, on Ghoul. Uh, I can't remember the article I read it in this week, but not a terrorist, apparently. Mistaken identity shouldn't have been there. Um, tortured right. to death, basically. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, not only the... A lot of people will say, well, look, if they were around and the Americans picked them up, there's always a good reason for it. And it's like stupid people might say that. Yeah. What you've got to keep in mind is that a lot of people in Afghanistan um, had enemies 
and they false they made false reports so that the Americans would pick up people that yeah. they didn't like. There I are hate all sorts that fucking of... guy here. He's a terrorist. Oh, look at him getting to dra- dragged away to the salt pit. Yeah, to the salt pit. Um, I think also that it's worthwhile saying that, like, just to imagine the conditions here, to quote from this New York Times article, the, the, so, quote, the prison's windows were blackened and detainees were kept in total darkness. Some detainees were shackled, their arms outstretched to bars above their heads. Prisoners could go days or weeks without anyone looking at them an interrogator told the agency's inspector general. The report added that one man was chained standing to a wall for 17 days. End quote. Um, It's pretty medieval shit. Yeah. And And the the fact that you know that this was happening, so it was happening to some terrorists, it was also happening to some people who just were flat out innocent. Um, And I mean, all we haven't really touched on yet, the fact that, even when it was happening on the terrorists, it's the uh, the report makes it fairly clear that the information they were getting out of the torture of the actual terrorists they got hmm. was ineffective. Now, this is a really interesting point. Let's drill into this, man, because I'm fascinated by this, the idea of whether or not torture is effective. Hmm. Um, I don't think that all of these people are just the people who tortured people, who tortured folks, are like evil human beings. Um, And you just hear from sort of practitioners of security throughout the differing levels of American government that it is effective. And it makes me think that it must be effective to some extent because I can't believe that they would want to torture people for the sake of it. I just don't think that that's a rational thing to think about them. Uh, the only people I've heard saying that it was effective are uh, Dick Cheney, uh, Hayden, and a couple of very top-level CIA. In terms of actual uh, people down in operations, yeah. um, what's come through that I've seen in the report from this is that they were saying that this, they're getting shit. Yeah, there were disagreements. There were huge disagreements. The thing is, though, that you really need to have, like, two strong pools of opinion for there to be a disagreement. And so... Well, no, you just have to have a difference in the uh, the power levels of the people disagreeing. If the people at the top are saying, it's great, yeah, it's working, and the people actually doing it are saying, not yeah, but so much. I have read articles where there were people who were doing it who thought that it was effective for obtaining intelligence. Um, and Well, they were certainly gaining some intelligence, but oh, they were gaining some information, but whether it was actually workable, genuine intelligence is another matter as well, and that's where effectiveness comes in as well. I mean, what do you think about waterboarding? I um, Would you consider it torture? Yeah, I think it's definitely torture. It's, okay. it's just as much torture as... Uh, Dragging someone and uh, and holding their head into a bucket of icy water for uh, thirty seconds, like it's sure, yeah. sure. I mean, I consider it torture as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm not advocating this at all. And we were talking before about the fact that while during the Blitz in World War Two, where you had German bombers just 
wholesale dropping bombs yeah, on London during carpet World War bagging II. a civilian city. Yeah, you the Brits did not were famous for not torturing the German pilots that were shot down and captured, um, and that gives you a sense of moral resolve that just seems to be completely lacking in the American context. Well, I think that's uh, that's another issue we should, we should probably talk about because. In terms of morals and values, mm. um, the US does and has for a long time um, portrayed itself and liked to like other people to think of it as the leader of the world and like a shining example of freedom and democracy and all these wonderful things. The city on a hill, sure. Yeah. Sure. Now that's all well and good, and uh, you know the best of America over the course of its history, um, you would probably say, you know, at times they have certainly lived up to that, and that's fantastic. But in, time, in things like this, um, when you're basically just saying, oh, well, all that stuff about all our morals and values that, you know, we've been telling people about for decades, we're just going to ignore that now, but it's okay because we can, and we can do whatever evil shit... Um, we think is necessary, mm. um, you, you lose any sort of moral high ground that you thought you might have. Um, and, uh, and I was saying before, like, uh, your intentions mean fuck all as far as I'm concerned. There is, um, whether you're a country or an individual, what you do is what you are. And if you're torturing some folks, if you're killing hundreds of civilians in drone strikes um, mm. because they, you know, some of them might meet the signature of uh, someone who other, someone else who might be a terrorist, um, then no, you're, you're doing evil. Let me point out, though, at this point, like just before we kind of like really... It's easy to jump on the moral outrage bandwagon here. But what's worth keeping in mind, I think, is that while this report evokes a lot in the way of outrage, it's actually the first sign of America trying to fix the problem. Yeah, there is that. Like you would. So while it's been laid bare, and probably only to, you know, not not fully, I don't think. Um, it's been it's been publicised now. Like, that's actually an indicator of a significant amount of bravery from a, a large number of people. Um, yeah. So, at the same time as it evokes outrage, credit must be given to the people who are convinced enough about this that they're willing to go through this highly public process of, of reckoning. Um, that's a fair enough point. Mm. Um, and uh, and I, would, uh, I would agree with it insofar as... The, um, the torture program goes, uh, but um, we were going to get to it a bit later on, uh, but I think it links fairly nicely here. Uh, you, with all this stuff with the, the torture report, uh, and you have Obama going, um, this isn't who we are, and then we get to signature strikes. Yeah. Can we just stick on torture for a little bit? Yeah, fair enough. Because like that particular statement really pisses me off. The, this is not who we are. 
And the reason that that statement that I hear from Obama a lot yeah. really pisses me off. Obama pisses me off a lot these days. Does he? In fact, he has for a while. Um, he's Anyway, go on. It, the reason it pisses me off is because I think it's an implicit abdication of responsibility. It's saying, well, we should not be doing this. Um, this is not who we are. We should be better. You're like, well, no, actually. Um, you should be better. You run the show, remember? Like, this is not a kind of social worker consensus building exercise. <laughs> you make the decisions. I mean, that is kind of a thing that George Bush had right in his toddler mind. He was the decider. And we seem to have gone from a guy on one end of the spectrum to a guy on the other end of the spectrum. And I've been unconvinced by critiques of Obama in terms of the leading from behind thing. I'm fine with America leading from behind, garnering support, um, getting a bit more global consensus before they do things. Yeah. But this idea that like somehow Obama is completely out of control he has no. It just feels like he feel, he thinks he has no influence over this kind of stuff, and while there's a drone program continuing, that bears all the same evil hallmarks as a program like this, uh, it rings hollow. Yeah. What are you saying? So let's let's talk drones, man. Yeah. So I mean, there's been a couple of things in the news recently about the drone strikes. There's um. Uh, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International decided to do some studies because there's so much secrecy around the drone strikes. You know, there's been uh, there's been reports about them killing civilians and all that sort of thing, but there hasn't really been any concrete studies done about it. So that's the problem. Yeah. So uh, so these two organisations uh, um, basically did six. Uh, Human Rights Watch looked at six uh, strikes in Yemen. And Amnesty looked at, uh, I think it's nine, yeah, nine uh, strikes in um, Pakistan, I think it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so 57 of the 82 people killed in the Yemen strikes were civilians. Um, that's, I mean, a clear majority. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Oh, wait, who, who got another one? Uh, UN Human Rights One as well, looking at, uh, estimated that 2,200 people have been killed in drone strikes over the past decade in Pakistan. Um, but apparently too, very difficult to say how many of those were civilians. Their <laughs> estimate on there is um, 400 uh, civilians and another two hundred probably non-combatants, but they just they don't they don't really know. Um, I think the interesting thing about this is the circumstances surrounding the drone strikes are very particular, yeah. and the dynamics at play so far as civilian casualties are concerned are very unusual because in both Waziristan in Pakistan, Western Pakistan, um, and Yemen, we're talking about basically tribal-run remote areas that are completely outside the control of the governments that ostensibly run them. Yeah. And as a result, there's this kind of 
hermetic seal against information. I mean, obviously, you can get information about these strikes, but the fact that the terrorists are hiding out there also allows the Americans to strike at them in such a way that it's very hard for information about what goes wrong in those strikes to get out as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I was an Al-Qaeda operative at this juncture, I'd be pretty keen to go and hang in Karachi rather than Waziristan. Um, yeah. Do you want to uh, do you, do you, do you want to uh, explain what the signature strikes are just quickly? Sure. Okay. So signature strikes, and it's worth noting that um, uh, reputable reporters, on the basis of anonymous sources, have described a new method of targeting called signature strikes. So the definition of a signature strike is that you do not have specific intelligence about an individual, but you target and kill them with a drone because their behavior signature fits that of a bad guy. Now that can mean a number of different things. That can mean you are in proximity of a bad guy, um, or that even you are just driving a car around a certain area at a certain time in such a way that that fits the signature of a terrorist. Yeah. And that's enough, apparently. And the quote that I read in the article on the Huffington Post is that many, if not the majority of strikes, happen on the basis of um, this signature threshold. Yeah, which is... A disturbingly low threshold. Like it's... it's an extremely low threshold. Um, and the memo that formed the legal reasoning as a basis for the drone strikes, which was released a few months ago or leaked a few months ago, I just can't see how they would get from there to signature strikes. But it seems to be quite well established that signature strikes are taking place. Um, so it just... I mean, I suppose the uh, the executive, the executive branch of the United States government is uh, well known for its ability to torture legal language in such a way, pun intended, that they are able to do whatever they like on the basis of very thin interpretative um, gymnastics. But that yeah. seems to be just an extra level, yeah. and I think it also it's worth mentioning that. Obama did kill an American citizen in Yemen with a drone strike. And his son. And his 16-year-old son. That's kind of the important bit. Also an American citizen. Also an American citizen. The kid was 16. And when Robert Gibbs, who was a previous spokesperson of Obama, was questioned about that drone strike that killed that kid, and I'm using the word kid literally, yeah. um, he said something to the effect that, well, you know, he should have just had a more responsible father. So... I mean, we've, uh, we've talked about the uh, effectiveness or otherwise of drone strikes. I don't think we've done it on a podcast, but we've talked about it ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it's probably worth touching on since we're already on the topic. Um, and that... I don't think either of us have a... Uh, a problem with the idea of taking out a terrorist, if you know for, like if you have 
solid information mm. that he's he's an imminent threat of killing lots and lots of people. Um, and I was um, I was likening it to if you uh, if you see a serial killer with a meat hook and a hacksaw breaking into someone's house. And you know he's a serial killer breaking into a sorority house, and you know, and you know the house they're breaking into is uh, someone lives there who meets the, who fits the profile sure. of the people that he uh, he has killed. And you having a gun in your hand, yeah, you're probably okay shooting him. Um, but it's that sort of like to expand that to a drone strike. You've got to have really specific information that who you're killing. You know, if you don't kill them lots of other people are going to die. And I just, I can't get past the feeling that that is simply not the case for the overwhelming majority of people who are getting killed in these drone strikes. Well, clearly the majority of the deaths caused are collateral damage, at least according to these human rights organisations, who of course have expended a great deal in the way of um, resources and, and, and money to come up with a report and they're always going to want to report something. I mean, no human rights watch report is going to be that the Americans are behaving well. And I think that there's also a point to be made, by the way, that the people who compiled the report into torture did themselves a great disservice by not cleaving to the terms of reference or the the terms, what do they call it? Like the scope, the, the scope that's laid out for what the report is supposed to do. I think it's it's terms of reference or something like that. I mean, they were supposed to make recommendations. Okay, They did not make any recommendations yeah. about how to fix the problems. Um, and in that way, they've kind of hamstrung themselves by giving their enemies a valid point to make, which is that, well, you guys were told to do a report on you know, a number of things and you focused purely on prosecuting us for what we did um, during these activities. So you've obviously got a barrow to push. And I've heard quite reputable journalists, albeit um, journalists, David Ignatius specifically, who are in the belly of the beast, um, saying that, look, it's obvious that the people who wrote this report took a prosecutorial approach and were really interested in highlighting the flaws and that, in that sense, it's not particularly even-handed. It should be considered... Um, a kind of a prosecutor's argument, and we're yet to hear from the defence. But I suppose the problem with that particular argument is that I don't hear much in the way of facts disputed. No. And if these facts are correct, and there there doesn't seem to be a great deal of pushback on the facts, No. Uh, you know, there are serious problems. As and in- a prosecutorial approach is appropriate if these facts... True. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, the, the the main form of uh, defence being put forward this week have been from Michael Hayden and Dick Cheney, who have not disputed facts at all. They've in fact just they've almost proudly claimed them in that we did what we had to do. We do it all again the same. Yes, um, that is actually that's exactly. I heard that question asked of Michael yeah. Hayden this morning, and, uh, and Cheney said pretty much exactly the same thing uh, a few days ago. I think. Yeah. Um, and it's um, uh, why anyone would believe that Hayden and Cheney are telling the truth to proven liars about a number of uh, things over the past decade. 
Two of the most genuinely bad human beings to be shat out of the American political system in living memory. Why you trust them on this is beyond me. Yeah, I don't think that they have much credibility either. Um, but uh, I noticed that, uh, I don't know, something about the way that American journalists approach people from positions of authority that I find to be really pathetic. I'll be honest, guys, um, to the extent that we have Americans listening, I don't understand. There just doesn't seem to be a culture of accountability around leaders in the United States in the same way that there is in Australia and Britain. Um, the I'd questions... say there, there, there probably would have been once upon a time, Watergate, I guess. Um... Yeah, but there's always been this kind of real deference to the commander-in-chief. They've always yeah. got that rhetoric. That's true, actually. There's certainly no deference to any Australian Prime Minister. No, or any British Prime Minister. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's the difference between this sort of parliamentary approach, where you've got to, if you're a leader, you stand up and you argue the point. I mean, you've got to, you've got to answer questions, but publicly. But in America, you've got these kind of canned press conferences where the nicest of the nice journalists are admitted to ask questions of dear leader. And it just seems like really it's it's such a shadow of a robust media, at least so far as holding leaders accountable is concerned. Hmm. Um, not to go off on that tangent, though. Um, what were we talking about before I went off on that tangent? Uh, Cheney, Hayden... Sorry, I know, I know what point I wanted to make. And that is that uh, while the congressional staffers were leafing through the CIA documents to compile this report, the CIA actually spied on them. And this is now well established. There was initially yeah. some questions and, some, and a lack of clarity around particularly Dianne Feinstein she's an American senator, and her staff, and whether or not they'd been surveilled. Um, and John Brennan, the head of the CIA, um, in his silken tones, said, we would never do that. Um, and of course, it was subsequently discovered that they had, and that, yes, it's uh, really unprecedented. You have the external intelligence agency of the United States surveilling a congressional oversight committee or a congressional oversight uh, group, which is really getting into super dangerous territory. Yeah, like if you don't have an immediate gut reaction against that, yeah, you, you've been brainwashed somehow. I don't know what's happened to you. There just seems to be this like breakdown in the system, as you were saying before, at many levels. And I'm surprised that didn't get more play than it did. Actually, because I mean that's 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 crazy shit. Yeah, one of the things which interested me as a as a journalist in the report was um, a bit where it was talking about how uh, inform like when it started coming out that this program was in place. Uh, I think it was mid to late two thousands. I'd have to go back and uh, and find the um, mm. find the exact dates. Um, but when it started coming out that this thing existed. It was around 2006. Yeah. Um, uh, the CIA started 
leaking information to to friendly journalists, basically. Mm. And it didn't matter if the information was true or not. Well, I mean, they have their anonymous source, yeah. and that's good for their journalistic career. Yeah. Publish. Yeah. Um, Unquestioningly. I mean, it's a pattern. Yeah. And so, uh, and so a bunch of people had their... Uh, you know, their opinions are formed on all this stuff in the mid to late 2000s based on media reports going, well, it's not so bad and it's totally effective. Um, Yeah, yeah. And if there's one thing that um, Snowden and this particular report have taught me, it is that, like, things are so much worse than they seem. That seems to be the only logical conclusion to draw. Yeah from these disclosures. Um, but to get back to drone strikes and the approval of them in principle yeah. is, I mean, in of itself, a pretty controversial, dangerous idea. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, I'm not against them in principle. But, but that's the thing. You can, you, can, you can say in principle something works while being realistic, to not, uh, well, you know, being able to say, yes, but in practice it's fucking not. So until you can get it to work how it should in principle, fuck right off with it. Well, I suppose when I say I'm not against it in principle, I'm saying that the use of a drone strike on someone who's not been convicted in a court is a reasonable thing to do in some circumstances. I suppose what I'm saying is that's a really controversial opinion to hold in the first place. Because Western notions of justice have been based entirely on the idea of a day in court before the state can imprison you, let alone kill you. Yeah. But even in that, um, you know, there, uh, there's, uh, there's except, I mean, even in common law, uh, you know, there's exceptions of that of a, uh, could get into controversial territory here. Um, but police officers being legally allowed to shoot criminals who are in the process of um, committing dangerous crimes, um, or at least but getting off on, like yeah, right, yeah, okay. Um, I suppose, like, that- if a, like if a police officer sees someone uh, attempting to murder someone. Mm. And they blow them away without them being arrested, charged, tried, or found guilty. Uh, nothing happens to that police officer. I see that that's an analogous situation. It's, it's not strictly analogous, but it, like a, it's it's a big difference in degree, though. Yeah, because when you it's blow a, a difference in degree, when you blow a dude away in Waziristan, he's nowhere close to Americans. No. Um, and you know, I, I I take the point though. Like I'm uncomfortable about the whole idea. Yeah. But with a serious terrorism problem, which there is, and the ability of terrorists to wreak more havoc never before. And I go back to the point that I'm much more scared about terrorists having nukes than anything else. Yeah. Um, I think it is a reasonable thing to, if you are sure, if they're in a foreign country, um, and if they're otherwise unreachable, to... Um, fire a missile at them from a predator drone. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is something Obama said in uh, October, I think it was. Um, The drones would only be used against people who pose a continuing imminent threat to the United States and only in cases 
where the avoidance of civilian casualties would be a near certainty. Now, under those very exact, very specific circumstances, a person who poses a continuing imminent threat, and I think that's a really key point. Yeah, imminent is. Um, and, not all, and that the avoidance of uh, civilian casualties would be a near certainty, knowing that sometimes accidents could happen, a civilian could run out into a field at a wrong moment or something like that. You you know, hard to say 100% certain. Hmm. You couldn't really, or I couldn't really, argue against that in principle. If, there, if you know that a terrorist has access to a nuke hmm. and something to launch it with... Um, and you know that they are imminently about to, and there's no, or as certain as you can be, that there's no civilians who are going to be casualties around, mm. I couldn't really argue against someone uh, taking them out with a drone strike. But that's how specific and how certain I think you really need to be for it. Yeah. Um, my threshold might be a bit lower. I mean, if you had intelligence that there was a guy who really was in control of a nuke already. And that's not beyond the realms of possibility. No. Can I just make the point here that in Pakistan, they are driving nukes around in unguarded trucks because they're fucking morons. Yeah. Just smart enough to make a nuke, not smart enough to keep them safe. Yeah. And Pakistan, not known as a terrorist hotbed at all. Oh, well, yeah, there's that Waziristan thing, but yeah. I heard they got that bedded down. Oh, no, they, they've, got it, they've got it they're totally under control. I think Absolutely no chance, Pat, that anyone in Pakistan who bears America or Western civilization <laughs> ill could get their hands on a nuke. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it just that's my <laughs> usual alarmist rhetoric, Rod. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, I suppose that um, I'm a little bit vague today. Uh, full disclosure, I suffered a mild concussion yesterday during Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so sorry. That's probably the source of some of these pauses. And I was just going to say that, like, in principle, we're not against it, but this they need to be really strict about it. And Obama is saying, I mean, with this imminent threat yeah. and continuing threat paradigm, that it's worthwhile doing. But I suppose my response to that is, after Snowden, after this CIA black site prison torture shit, I just don't fucking believe him. Yeah, I don't believe I, I don't, a I think word he... coming out of his mouth. It is so much worse than we think. In the unlikely event that you're listening to this, Barack Obama, I think you're a fucking liar. And if you were here, I would say it to your face. Yeah, a fucking liar. Um, and you can't really blame him for the black site stuff. No, that was, uh, that was Bush. And he has um, presided over the disclosure of information about the black yeah. sites. And, um, and in, uh, in 2009, he did uh, issue an executive order rescinding Bush's previous executive order, banning CIA and uh, detention authority and restricting them to interrogation techniques authorised by the Army Field Marshal. Mm. So in terms of the torture stuff, uh, he's... Um, Not guilty, but yeah. the Snowden stuff, I'm afraid, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald by the sequence of the releases, really made a liar out of Obama. Yeah. It became quite clear that he was just fucking lying through his teeth. Yeah, And, and the drone strike stuff. I guarantee is... you he's lying through his teeth on this as yeah. well. Yeah. Just not, not a question in my mind. And the question is, well, if we look at how much worse things have been in the past as compared to how bad we thought they were, uh, 
I mean, what, what like the, the signature strike stuff sounds really plausible. And I mean, you've really got to ask questions about what actually counts as a behavioral signature. Something tells me it's pretty loose yeah. so far as a criteria. I, um, I just can't shake the feeling that maybe the president after Obama, possibly the one after that, at some point is going to be responding to a Senate committee finding about uh, civilians killed in signature strikes saying, this is not who we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I can't see it not getting out of control, especially considering how uh, hard it is to hold them to account because these are isolated places. Yeah. And they're as close to um, a kind of a news vacuum as you can possibly get. So, I mean, even like when you... Dirty Wars, the documentary by... Great documentary. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Scahill. He went and investigated a strike in Yemen. And it's obvious that it's incredibly difficult to establish any facts in these remote areas yeah. with people who have nothing in the way of education and I mean it, they bury people very quickly it's just really difficult to establish facts about this kind of thing so I think that they're taking advantage of that to a large extent and I wonder I mean they're doing it in Somalia as well yeah. again another completely lawless difficult place to get news from and you've got to ask the question like I will start to really worry about this if they start to expand this kind of activity to areas that aren't so remote. Yeah. That's what concerns me. Because right now, it seems to me to be basically an aberration. Like, this is not something that can be generally applied. It is, by its nature, a thing they can only get away with in yeah. incredibly remote places. As in, there um, there hasn't been any terrorist attacks in, uh, in Indonesia for a while. But uh, in the 2000s, there were a few. There were. Uh, what happens... If some Islamic fundamentalists from Archer province in Indonesia or something, uh, they've come down to Jakarta mm. um, and uh, uh, America gets some, gets some intelligence that they are planning a major attack on the US embassy in Jakarta or something like that, Do they, does a drone strike take out these guys in the middle of a populous, affluent, Western-friendly country, uh, city? Well, see, I would have previously said that that's a ridiculous idea, but there are many things that I would have previously said were ridiculous ideas that have come to pass. Yeah. So, like, my personal opinion on this is that when you look at the experience of the Israelis, like, targeted killing was a really controversial thing when the Israelis were doing it, um, well before the Yanks did, Yeah. using drones, and... um. I mean, if you look at where they're headed with it, I mean, in, in heavily populated areas, they use the technique all the time. Yeah. So I suppose the difference would be America doing it to a sovereign nation where it's citizenry. Because, I mean, the Palestinians yeah, aren't they're... really an independent country at this point. So you can get away with it, I think, somewhat there. The question is, does it become less of an exception. Is it possible that they could get away with doing that in a country where it's obvious to the citizenry? Yeah. I don't know. 
Is it possible? Well, not not uh, not even getting to the point where they could get away with it. Is it possible that they could do it, thinking they could get away with it? I mean, they can't really control the uh, the reaction to it after that. But do you think we'll see the day where they'll just go ahead and fucking do it anyway? I don't know. But as I said, if I was a terrorist operative, I'd be headed towards major urban centres at this point. Yeah, I honestly, would be. Um, yeah, because sure. these drone strikes are obviously effective. And as I was telling you before, the Israelis use them to great effect. One of the first requests of, from Hamas during peace negotiations, or, or Hudna, I can't even remember the English word, ceasefire, ceasefire negotiations, um, one of the first things that Hamas requested was stop the targeted killings of our senior leadership. Um, they essentially cried uncle and... I suppose that's an indicator of how successful it is yeah, in many ways. I think it's a, a fairly distinguishable case, though. In yeah, it's a question of degree. It's a question of uh, it's a question of degree. It's a question of that's a very small target area with people they know, like they have they know exactly who they're targeting. Um, they would and, have better intelligence, yeah, they, I presume. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, to to try and expand that out into like a global war on terror with much worse intelligence to the point where they're having to, well, have strikes against people who meet the signature of uh, the behavioural signature of someone who might be a terrorist. I um, I can't see that being anywhere near as effective. No. And I mean, there's the obvious points to make about it being totally counter to effective, which is creating a new generation of terrorists. Yeah. And that's very hard to quantify or know. Yeah. I mean, you just you think about uh, you know some of the figures from from uh, from Amnesty or Human Rights Watch or whatever, and there'll be more of those studies in the coming years. Mm. Um, all of those uh, civilians who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, all their families, um, all their friends, they're going to be pretty anti-Western. Sure, uh, they are, and uh, and a lot of them could, um, well, pass that on to their kids, pass that on to their friends. Like, every single strike, I think they are creating more enemies for themselves. They're creating enemies. The question is, are they creating terrorists? I I can't say that every uh, uh, enemy they create would go on to become a terrorist, but I'd certainly say some of them will. Yeah, it's... That's the problem with it. It's hard to know. Yeah. And I guarantee you that there's a cynical CIA analyst somewhere that has said, well, what do we fucking care if people who live in dirt hate us? How much of a threat really is a guy who grew up in Waziristan? Yeah, yeah. Someone probably said something similar about uh, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban in the 90s. Yeah, it's a distinguishable case, though. Bin Laden um, always had an enormous amount in the way of resources. That's true. And he was well-educated. Um, you can't say the same for a peasant in Western Pakistan. Um, but I take your point. Like, it's just impossible to know. So, you yeah. know, as much as you can find people yelling death to America, whether or not the statistics are such that there are more terrorists created than eliminated, and also keep in mind that you're eliminating high-value targets, hopefully, although I can't obviously say that. But, I mean, if you're eliminating high-value targets, then they're worth a lot more than just a bunch of rank-and-file P-51 
peasant terrorists. I know that sounds terrible. Yeah, but they... But that's kind of the calculation you've got to make. Those high-value targets were once rank-and-file nobodies as well. Yes, that's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. There's no question, though, that when you eliminate a guy further up the chain, there's more disruption. Yeah. Um, So, look, yeah, I feel like we've spun out the the chat. Yeah. Um, Fucking depressing this week. Yeah, it is depressing. And, you know, I should probably just sort of drop in here that, look, the world is a complicated place. Um, And I know that we've sort of uh, indulged in a lot of moral outrage on this. Um, I, I don't really know what I'm saying here. I suppose that we're not just on our high horse because that's what people seem to do a lot of these days. Like, I think that this is a genuine question about Western civilization that's important yeah. well, and that it is important enough to actually get morally out. It, it's, about. A, it's a question about where, where Western civilization is headed and America is still the leader of Western civilization. So where America is headed is where the rest of us are. Yeah, unfortunately. When you're talking about Western countries, you're right. Yeah. So if, if that's not important enough to get uh, outraged about, then nothing really is. Yeah, that's basically the point. Well said. On that 